Revelation 2, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, right? I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. You cannot tolerate wicked people. You've persevered and endured hardships for my name and haven't grown weary. But I have this against you. You've forsaken your first love. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent. Do the things you did at first. We Messianic rabbis, we work hard. We've persevered uh, for decades. We don't tolerate wickedness. Uh, we've endured hardship and, and haven't grown weary. But have we lost our first love for Yeshua? The love we had for him in the springtime of our faith, when we couldn't get enough of him, we praised and we thanked him and we worshipped him every chance we got and we told everyone we knew about him. I want to encourage us today to return to our first love and to exhort our congregations and all of our members uh, to do the same. And to get at this theme, I want to read us one verse, 1 John 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. John begins this verse with an outburst. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. When John wrote this letter, first John, he's an old man, and Yeshua is the only thing that matters to him. Eusebius, this ancient church historian, writes this uh, account about John, detailing an event from John's ministry uh, from the last years of his life before his exile to Patmos. And according to this account, uh, John, as an old man, had won this young man to the Lord and was dis discipling him. And as John was leaving for a long trip, he said to the bishop of that town, Please take care of this young man until I get back. When John returned from his trip, he said to the bishop, Where's this young man I left in your care? And the bishop said, Alas, he's dead. He's dead to the Lord. Uh, he's fallen back with his old friends and his old ways and back into a life of crime. And now he lives as a leader of a band up in the mountains, of a band of outlaws, uh, where nobody can go because if you try to approach their hideout, uh, you're killed. So, so he, he's gone. He, he's dead to God. At this point, John cries out, get me a horse. Uh, and he gets on a horse and he rides up to the mountains uh, where it's death to go. And when he gets there, the robbers come out, that they grab him. And John says, take me to your leader. And so they bring John to the leader who happens to be this young man. And the young man immediately recognizes John. Uh, and although he's armed, he begins to run away. John runs after him, cries out, why flee from me? I'm an old unarmed man. Don't you know there's still hope for your life? I'll gladly suffer death for you, as the Lord gladly suffered death for me. I'll give my own life in exchange for yours. So stop. Listen. Trust me. Hearing these words, the young man stops, hurls away his weapon, and in trembling begins to weep bitterly and returns to the Lord. Now, where does John get that kind of courage and unconditional commitment to Yeshua at, at any cost? He tells us here in 1 John 3, he says, we can have fellowship with God. John says we can existentially and experientially know God, not just know about him. He says you can know the presence of his glory in your heart and soul. And this will give you an impregnable uh, and unquenchable joy that nothing can defeat. If you have this, you can face anything. And the whole book of 1 John is about what it means to know God. 
And here in chapter 3, he explains why it's possible to know God. In chapter 2, he says you must be born again uh, and adopted into his family. And then all of a sudden, in chapter 3, John begins to emote. Beginning in 1 John 3, John exclaims, Behold! Behold how great the love of the, how the Father is. He's lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that's what we are. Now this word lavished literally means to bestow. The King James says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. Now usually you don't bestow your love on someone because the word bestow means to give or to present something to someone. And the only human analogy we have for that is marriage. Uh, you may love someone you're dating, but at a certain time, an event, uh, you sum them up, sum up, sum them up all your love, and you stand before you, your friends and your family and before God, and you bestow your love upon them. And it permanently changes your life and theirs. Now, to be a Yeshua follower is not to have God's love in, in some general sense. But to be a Yeshua follower means there, there's a moment uh, in which you cross a line. And God actually brings his love at a certain point in time in your life, and it changes you forever. It revolutionizes your life. What is that? How great is the love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called his children. And that's who we are. We're not just called, we're adopted into God's family. And John says, we're not just called God's children. We are. We're actually made his children. We're given his divine nature through the Holy Spirit. We're, we're transformed from within. We're given a new heart and a new spirit. But in meditating on this truth, why this emotive outburst uh, in, in chapter 3? Why does John suddenly go crazy? Uh, uh, John is showing us the way to know God and to return to our first love, to personally experience Yeshua. John does not just exhort us to know the Lord. He actually does it in front of us. In chapter 3, verse 1, he's doing it. Uh, he's knowing God right before our eyes. Uh, he's talking about God, and all of a sudden, uh, he's knowing him. Uh, he exclaims, behold! Knowing God is when the truth overflows from your mind into all the rest of you. Uh, you're experiencing the Lord, you're, you're returning to your first love, when the truth of who Yeshua is and what he's done all of a sudden makes your rationality go crazy so that your rationality can't handle it anymore. Uh, and it just bubbles up and it flows out and it goes ballistic in your life. And you just can't contain it in your mind. Any more than in your mind only, but it flows out into your feelings, it flows out into your will, it flows out into, into every part of you. What it means to know Yeshua is when the truth overflows into all the rest of you, out of your mind, and into everything else in your life. When you don't just know it, but you see it. John doesn't just say, I know that God has done this. He says, behold. It's when the truth goes through your life like lightning through a lightning rod. John says, behold, how great is the love of the Father that we should be called the children of God. And that's what we are. What's going on? Knowing God is when there is a movement from analysis to intuition. The truth moves from something you understand to something you stand under. It moves from something you know about to something which overshadows you. It moves from something you're detached from to all of a sudden seeing all the connections. 
And you start to say, if this is true, oh my God, how can I be worried about this or that? Or, or angry, or, or depressed, or afraid. Here's when you know you've moved from knowing about God to knowing him. It's when the, it's when the truth you've always known suddenly seems, at the same moment, something that's so ancient that you've always known it, and at the same time, like something you've never really known before. It seems absolutely new. Paradoxically, at the, it seems more ancient and more new at the same time. It's absolutely astonishing. It moves from the mind to the heart. Uh, it moves from analysis to intuition. Uh, it moves from understanding to standing under. It moves from seeing in a detached way to seeing how it connects with everything. It moves from just knowing to beholding. Speaking of Yeshua, the suffering servant, let me close with this example from Isaiah 53, verse 11, where it says, And the results of his suffering he shall see and be satisfied. And I said to myself, what does that really mean? Yeshua suffered infinitely uh, at depths we will never know. What could possibly be so valuable to him, what could be so satisfying, that it would be compensation for that? Thinking of the, his infinite agony, his infinite torment, what could be so satisfying and fulfilling and valuable to him that he could look at it and say, I am satisfied, it is worth it. And then the revelation hit me. It is you, and you, and you, and me. All those who are his. And I said to myself, my forgiveness, my salvation, my transformation, he looks at me and you and is satisfied. He gets joy. He is consoled for that. And then I thought to myself, when I started thinking about this, my rationality started going crazy. I'm almost done. <laughs> you know, I'd known this truth all my believing life. Of course, what Masonic Jew doesn't know, Isaiah 53. But suddenly, I started beholding it. And I said to myself, wait a minute. If this is true, why am I bored? Why am I unhappy? Why am I worried? Why am I mad? Uh, and I knelt down, and I prayed, and I praised the Lord. Now, you can't program this. It's not because he's not a tame lion. Uh, this is the adventure of messianic faith. Uh, it's not a programmable computer code. But as you seek Yeshua and return to your first love, uh, from time to time, this truth will bubble up and overflow your mind and electrify your soul and change your life. Amen.